Club members, I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 33, and our book this week is Men Flayer by Josh Reynolds. The book is the third and final installment in the Fabulous Bill, Fabius Bile <laughs> series, in which it bridges the final events between his times in the 30th millennium and into the modern era. We put several questions on our website, WH40K, K Book Club. Okay, so this is like the week after we get back from vacation, so expect uh, stutters like this. It's just part of the fun. We encourage participation in our discussions always, so whatever platform you're listening to us on, talk to us. We love you, especially you, <laughs> Skywatcher Adept. Spoiler warning, though, if you haven't yet read Man Player, go ahead and check out the book and the questions and then come back to this post as we're going to be talking, we're going to be breaking this book down from start to finish in great detail. So let's start with our most loaded question. Did you like the book? Eh. Yeah, it's really all I got. Like, there's some moments I liked, but on the whole, eh. Ditto. I, I, it, you know what? There are some moments in this book that really shone and really reminded me of what a good wordsmith and what a good uh, writer Josh Reynolds is overall. Mm -hmm. Without those, I wouldn't have been met on this book. I would have very much not liked it. Um, I don't, I don't typically put a whole lot of stock in internet rumblings, but I've heard from a couple of places, granted like Tumblr and Reddit, that um, the book went through editing hell. And when you read it, it passes the sniff test. There's a lot of weird back and forth, and it feels as though it's either two books cobbled together or a book is missing. Well, I think I texted you. I was like, does this feel like you're being yo-yoed through a timeline? I was like, yes. Because there's constantly we jump to a plot and be like, well, hold on, hold on a second. Was this before Cormorah? Was this during Cormorah? Was this since Cormorah? Because I, I just need some context here when when this is. And, and then they, they would even mention these battles that were obviously way before Cormorah and way before these books. I'm like, I have no idea what you guys are even talking about. We're going to talk a lot more about Kamora in a bit, but, oh, yes. Like, I think the thing that frustrated me the most, and again, we'll talk, we'll deep dive into this in a second here, because I really do want to highlight the stuff that we really loved. But there were times where they were like, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened in Kamora? And I was like, nope, never been. <laughs> like, there was just a lot of weirdness with that. And yeah, a lot of... I, the number of conversations that boiled down to Ugh, when this happened, when he was in Kimura. Or I, do you remember when we had this random battle that has not been in one of these books or even Black Legion? Yeah. Right. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, totally. I totally remember that. It was a good time. Um, it. You know what it felt like, honestly? In some ways, have you ever been hanging out with like one of your friends and then one of their friends who's not your friend is there and they start talking about that one time and you're just sitting there awkwardly like, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Totally for that. remember that. Yeah. Right. Like it, it reminded me of that where these people like there was a conversation going on and I, all I could think of was, am I supposed to know about this? Because I don't. I actually, when we got back, so we started reading this book on vacation. When I got back, 
I actually pulled up the first two editions or the two first two uh, entries into the series to like flip through and be like, it's in there. It was not in there. So let's let's really let's highlight the stuff that we really liked because again there was a lot of stuff that we liked in this book. Um, I marked so many things. Uh, what's one of the first things that stuck out to you? So the big the first thing that stuck out to me was when uh, Sakara and Arian kind of team up. As I kind of wrote my notes here, the best duo ever. But they go to retrieve Savona, and she's with the rest of the third and they're doing what the third does and they get kind of heckled by a couple of them or just like ah oh, you guys need to do this and they're like no not really we're savona like no nah, come on lighten up and varix like throws sakara his gun he's like see look have some fun and sakara shoots on shoots at him on the floor making varix yelp and he's like yeah that was fun where's savona <laughs> just right into it it. and then just like immediately after you know they all start growling and just like we don't need to take this from two of the minor weak legions and sakar looks over arian's like are they insulting us i think they are just from kind of my like are you mocking me are you mocking me i well i just loved that i loved arian and sakara playing off each other so actually on that note big surprises in this book to me the first book, I really did not like Savona. The second book, she grew on me. And by the end of this book, she was one of my favorite characters. And guys, you know what? By the end of the book, I loved Sakara too. Well, let me rephrase yeah. that. Before the epilogue, I really liked Sakara. All of a sudden, I was like, like well, as soon as he revealed that he had disarmed the bomb in the back of his head, I was like, oh, shit. Hot damn it. Now I got to like this guy curse you josh you know, even if you don't like him you have to admit sometimes he's really funny especially with his dairy flasks i like when he just kind of taps them to be quiet right kind of reminds actually, me of airing you know tapping the skulls like, i was just about to say it's one of those things i liked and this okay so <sighs> arian dying and in such a lackluster way really killed me inside but when he stands up and he realizes that he's dying and his brothers are all alongside him oh man i was reading again i was reading the book aloud to my husband i was just like next to him and like so i usually do like the voices and stuff like that but then when uh talk when they were when he's like do you guys forgive me and they're like there's nothing to forgive brother i was just i couldn't even do the voices because i was like oh god it's so nice well, the cool thing about that is when he realizes that the skulls have been smashed and that and his brothers are there, when they totally could have just been like, ah, sucker, and just left, you know, and then at that moment of realization, and then he's like, you know what, I'm going to die. Let me take as many with them as I can and just, you know, takes out the relaxants, lets the nails bite and goes out like Karn. <laughs> But it was a very fitting end to him. And I was actually really glad. I was worried that he was going to, he, like, he was either going to be, like, a betrayer or he was going to leave and just be, like, peace out. Or that he was going to go a little crazy. And, uh. I was actually worried that he was going to sacrifice himself to save a gory, which I would not have been cool with. Oh. We're going to talk more about a gory later. 
because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but one of the things that I really liked, um, speaking of Arian and uh, Sakara, was on, uh, let's see, what is it? It's page 91, where he talks about the gods. And um, let's see, where is it? Page 91. Um, let's see. Uh, when he's talking about the gods, and he says they worship Fabius Bile, and he says they worship him because all of the gods they know he is the kindest. He's talking about the uh, the Homo Novus, why they worship mm. him, and he says he does not punish weakness; he ensures their children live, and that and hurting is plenty, and that the hurting is plentiful. He does not interfere beyond that. And I like how Sakara's that's blasphemy. And uh, he's like, of course he's a brother. I wonder if the gods sent you to us not to bring us back to their light, but to help his flourish. And I found that delightful, this idea that maybe Sakara, being a word bearer, mm-hmm. is on this pilgrimage to elevate Fabius Bile as this pater mutatus figure. Well, he was. It was very interesting passage to me i really liked that one. Oh, i did kind of like it near the end though when he's like is he dead and they're like well yes he is dead he's imagining he just wants to crush the skull over and over again right and uh the other one that i had on here was on page 117 this is one of the things that continually stood out to me about fabius bile and for some reason what page 117 really just struck the chord with me um, it's where Fabius Bill is talking about... Guys, he's just Bill. I can't. I just can't any other way. Um, he talks about how he doesn't want to live forever. No, he doesn't want an immortality. That sounds terrible. He just wants to keep cloning himself and waking up in his clone bodies into perpetuity until his work is done. Sounds like living forever to me. It's just me. What do I know? Um. Yeah. I think that's the other reason that I like Savona so much. This book is like of all these characters, well, Arian and Sakara as well. She was the most self-aware because Bill could definitely use some self-awareness. Oh, but he got it in spades. Those were like my two other favorite parts. Was when uh, uh, Narvo Quinn. I loved Narvo Quinn. Dresses him down. He's just like, I did everything. This Legion wouldn't be here because of me. And everything and everyone is so, he even says unfairly blames me for things. And Quinn's like, get over yourself. We're in this because of you. Like, no, like you weren't at Lair. You, you didn't, you know, pick up the sword at Lair. Of course, I had to call it Fulgrim's little souvenir. <laughs> I loved that line. <laughs> This little souvenir. There were actually a couple really great lines in this book where I was like, oh, brilliant. So I'm like, you need to look at yourself. You're not this genius that you think you are. And and at the same token, I loved it when Fulgrim also dressed him down. And of course, you know, Fulgrim's all being very demonic about it. He's like, oh, this is so cute. It's so easy to blame me because it's so easy for you to forget your part in all of this how many other people you were cutting up, you know, before I got here. It's just right. kind of going back and forth with that. Of course, and then the line that you told me, uh, and I was like, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite lines too. When he, when he, um, cause uh, Bill tried to throw it in his face. He's like, 
He's like, at least I learn from my mistakes. And Fulgrim's like, oh, but that's why you're my favorite. Because you don't make the same mistakes. You just keep making new ones. New interesting mistakes. Yeah. I loved that line. One of my favorites. Uh, my second favorite line in this book I had to pull up was when they were talking about um, Celian. And they said okay. that Celian, Celian was somewhat more tolerable than Varric's, but only just... He was a backstabber and an impassioned painter of mediocre hunting scenes. For some reason, yes. that just, the phrasing on that just tickled me so much. I like highlighted it, marked it. Um, actually, that's where my bookmark is still sitting is on that page. Um, he just has these wonderful turns of phrase, but that one with Fulgrim, where he's like, you just keep making new and interesting mistakes. Oh, Oh, you hit the nail on the head there. All right, so page 167. This had probably my favorite thing because it's when Fabius is talking to Gorel, and I actually really liked Gorel, even though nobody else did. I liked him because of how blunt he was and how much he just didn't give a fuck. Not a single one. Um, Fabius had always liked his little word game, showing off his knowledge of music, of literature, as if an awareness of such trivia elevated him above his fellow butchers. And the reason why I like that line so much is like, I feel like Gorel is calling out JMR. It was. Sentence. I liked it. It felt, it felt like that self-aware humor. It almost felt like uh, Josh Reynolds was breaking that fourth wall a little bit. Well, right. Because, you know, I made a joke. Well, I said in Apocalypse, this one line that talked about, you know, adding more bricks to the wall. And I was like, mm -hmm. that was totally, you know, Jethro Tull, not Jethro Tull, uh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. One of the Brits, all right? Uh, Pink Floyd reference, and you're like, no, I don't think so. And Josh was like, yeah, that really was. We have that. And then every Fabius. It wasn't, because all the Fabius Bile books are just full of those. Well, I mean, but then Fabius Bile, you know, is all full of the, I'm going to quote all this Shakespeare and just show, like, how much of these other random texts that I know. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so I kind of felt like Gorel was like almost calling out Josh himself because, you know, he did that in Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. he, he had that in Lucas the Trickster. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So that was actually kind of one of those things that, um, especially the one that drove me crazy throughout all of the fabulous bill books was the Yeats quote, the center cannot hold. Um, that was one where I was like, and I think the reason was that some of the stuff that he quoted, I was like of all of the stuff so to survive 40,000 years, please tell me Yeats does not survive 40,000 years from now. But he's so uplifting. I have strong opinions. Oh, I don't like him at all. <laughs> so I was forced to read all of his poetry in this one class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, if I really wanted to hate myself, I could find other poetry to read. Thank you. Oh, there's all kinds of better stuff you could be reading for that. Um, so let's discuss one of our core issues with the book. So the book is told after the events of Kimura. And yet Kimura is the center of this narrative. So what did you make of that structure for storytelling? I don't no. I mean, the more I think about it, looking back, I'm like, you know, if they actually did tell the events of Kimura, I don't think that would have been as interesting. 
Like, I don't mind it being after the fact. I think what I mind is how far after the fact it is. And not only after the fact, but... Yeah, so how far after it is because there was a whole revolution that happened while he was gone. You know, and so we're, I feel like we had to not only keep up with everything he did in Kimura, but then, you know, with uh, Igori leaving and, uh, you know, other of the uh, apothecaries leaving and ransacking his planet, which I thought was just brilliant of them. You know, all those things... I just, I don't mind starting a book in media race in the middle of things, but this was like almost at three fourths in the middle of, you know, to completion of things. It just felt like, so it's just too much. Yeah, I would agree. And I don't know that I particularly care about what happened in Kimura because it's Kimura and it's the Dark Elves. And I can probably pretty much tell you what happened. A bunch of cloak and dagger, sneaky, sneaky, backstabbing political shit um, because that's how the Eldar do. But... Jukari. The, that's how the dark space elves do. Um, the, uh, wait, shoot, I can't think of the D&D guys right now off the top of my head. The drow. The space drow do. Um, anyways. So, yes, the Jukari. That's how they do. Um, but... To your point, it sounds like when he got back from Kimura, shit really hit the fan in the consortium. And he's got all of these people, as he said, like rats fleeing a ship. They're grabbing anything they can get their hands on, which apparently it was just kind of scrapings anyways, right? That would have been really interesting to have seen. They never really investigate what the catalyst was for Agori. They kind of hint at it. I'm no. guessing it was... I'm guessing it was that she wanted more freedom. Maybe it was something over Fulgrim. I, I kept expecting for the big reveal. So at the end of the book, when you don't get that reveal, that's my fr that was when I was like, okay, we are missing a story here. Well, and, I, you know, and even Bill was saying, he's like, I don't even know why she left. It's like, okay, you know, um, kind of like if we started this book, as that revolution was happening, that would have been fantastic. Because then, you know, halfway through it, that's when Bill comes back and is like, what the hell? <laughs> I leave you guys for five minutes or 500 years or whatever. Right. And this is what happens. To me, it would almost have been as if you started the Horus Heresy at Istvan 5. Oh, that's a good example. Because <laughs> then you would have been like, Not Whoa. even Istvan 3. Just five. No, not even Isfan three. You stop it. You started Isfan five, and people would be like, "Wait, how did we get here?" There was just so much, and they really referenced a lot of Bill kind of withdrawing to himself for like five years, and that's when everybody starts fleeing the ship. That would have been really nice to see. Um, and ultimately, a lot of the people they so all of the big named people were still there. Savona's still there, Sakara's still there, Korag, Arian, um, Belifus, because he goes along with Savona, Skologram. All the people we know and care about are still there, so why? Like, they made this big deal about all these people leaving, and it was like, well, if they're not named, if they're just red shirts, who cares? <laughs> I, yeah. Actually, I think oh. they'd be pink shirts. 
pinko purple? Oh, definitely. Like mm. salmon, mm. like southwestern, like southwestern colors. Winterberry. Like. <laughs> Mauve. <laughs> there we go. Peptabismal. Um, Blush and bashful. It is their signature colors. <laughs> um, the ship is all blush and bashful. Anyways, Steel Magnolia's references in 40k. Um, so, I just, I found it a little weird. And I think I would have liked, I would have preferred it had it taken place right as he got back from Kimura. I don't need to know everything that happened in Kimura. But I do no. feel like I was missing a big part of the narrative in the post-Kimura years. I mean, I don't need to know how he, like tricked the homunculi to let him in their good graces and then screwed them over and left because seriously I could have told you that was gonna happen I know right home alone shocked. face shocked not that shocked <laughs> just not that shocked no I yeah. mean because like, we talked about you know like oh he uh, you know just stole their stuff and left and it's like go on well that and then he has the audacity too. to say later, he's like, I've never stolen anything from anyone. Like, hold on a minute. Again. Hold like, on a second. Usually the least self-aware person ever. Uh, I believe, like, this all started because of something that happened in Canticle City. You stole something. <laughs> okay, that's like ancient history, Carrie. God, let it go. It just goes back to how he's like, I never stole anything. I've never done anything wrong. Like, Except, like... Everything? Everything. Like, even Magnus is going, dude! <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, let's talk a little bit more about Agori. Because there's a lot going on with the Homonovus. Yeah. So, Homonovus is intended to replace humanity, right? That was the whole big thing about them. Sure, First sure. off, what kind of future does Homonovus have? I'm hoping none. Well... So he talks about how he has these homo novus people who are implanted within impl imperial planetary govern government, and they've kind of taken over. So those homo novus, it sounds like, are more like your alpha legion people, where they're very sneaky, cloak and dagger. They're socially acceptable and presentable, but then they're not the but they're not the gland hounds. They're right. not living in packs and right. hunting. And I don't know. And I don't know what kind of future the Glantowns have since they're constantly trying to challenge each other for authority. They're, they're constantly orcs. fighting. They're, they're orcs, orcs exactly. in human skin. That's that's exactly what they are. Holy cow. I don't I don't know what they're supposed to like what kind of a future do they have? And he was so concerned about them getting off that planet and I'm like these things are creatures of the warp. They are people who were created just to fight and backstab my husband actually had a really funny quip that since this takes place in m37 he's like dude for all we know they become the katachan and it was like that would actually be really funny but i don't know what kind of future they have and as for the people who are in the planetary government well, I mean, we only got to see that one, and then that one planet. But he mentions, he right. mentions there are others. Right. I just, you know, all it's going to take is there happens to be one Inquisitor Malleus or a Grey Knight gets on the planet and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you smell that? I smell warp fuckery. Right. Well, I just imagine, especially given the ending 
I just imagine all of these poor sleeper agents just sitting out on planets going, Pater Mutatus will come for us any day now. Any day now. They're waiting for him to enact Order 66. Exactly. Like, they're going to end up waiting for a call that's never going to come. Now, granted, it's been 3,000 years. So is this going to be like a Belisarius call the great work thing with the Imperial, the Emperor's sides? Where, like, we've always been mutants from Fabulous Bill. Always have been. And the sad thing is, by that point, though, if... They did get off to the point that they survived and repopulated and whatever mm-hmm. for 3,000 years. We're talking many, 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 many generations. How watered down is that going to be? Especially oh, my if we're not, gosh. If we're not talking about the gland hounds, but the actual, you know, uh, Homo novus. They're not going to always fall in love with other Homo novus because at the, some point, I mean, that's... Inbreeding. Inbreeding. And the further generation you get, they're not going to remember who they're from or where they came from. They're just going to be, yeah, we're just here from, uh, we just happen to have been here like all this time. Kind of like the gene stealers that don't know that they're gene stealers. All right. She'll be right back right here. So I'm not going to restart because I'm tired of doing the Monty Python music. And see, I told you she'd be right back. So anyway. If anybody knows of a good gas station I could rob to buy a new computer, please tell me. Uh, to be like, fair, you have not been pixelated this whole time, so. And now well, I've that's just, a start. Now I've just jinxed it. Anyway. Anyways, yes, um, you're right. I mean, they can't inbreed with one another into perpetuity, so eventually it's going to have to be a homo novus and other people, and I think it's going to end up being, again, like the gene stealers for the emperor's sides, where we are so inbred or ingrained into your society and we are so omnipresent throughout it that you're just part of us and you don't even know it right and they may not even know that they're created vat born mutants at that point right because if you think about it again it's been three thousand years think about just our own history here on earth like some some family knowledge and lore doesn't make it out of the 1900s right Right? like i dare you to give me very intimate details about like your great great grandparents lives can't do it i could go to my great but that's about it i couldn't go right and even that's just the stuff even that's just the stuff that's been passed down along so you have right. to wonder, like, at what point does Pater Mutatus just become the emperor? Well, I mean, so I don't know the exact years, but, you know, there are no true Egyptians anymore. And I don't mean right. people who are living in Egypt. I mean the true actual Egyptian blood from, you know, thousands of years ago. So, I mean, and that's, right. uh, I have no idea what year that actually disappeared, but... I don't think it's 3,000 years. So. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's like, oh, man. In many ways, just because I know this is Josh Reynolds' last book with the Black mm-hmm. Wine Bear. I mean, maybe he'll come back. Who knows? But for now, this is the last book. And if this book really did go through editing hell and they really didn't like some of the stuff he was doing, in a way, he wrote them off into obscurity. 
And it's totally plausible 3,000 years later we're never going to hear from them again. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that let's say you put 10 people on a planet, eventually, as you said, they either inbreed themselves into obscurity or they just kind of, I mean, it gets so watered down, it doesn't even matter anymore. Right, because right, I mean that was one thing they even talked about with the Gori's line, because they'd been so inbred that none of them were as ever going to be as strong as she was. Right. Well, exactly. And additionally to that, to point, I mean, to again, God damn it, I'm going to quote Yeats now, not ironically. Yeats. I've been saying Yeats. Yeats. Yeah, I've been saying Yeats. I've been. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. It. You know what? Look, you've got kids who say Yeat constantly, so. Anyways, we yeah, actually he... had to put a ban on that word when we were our in Tybee. house too. Yes, it, no, Tybee, why we, was... no, just saying why we're in Tybee. We're like nobody says it. So we have a ban on it in our house. So when your husband was like, "We're banning that word," I was like, "I could hug you if I was a hugger." Um, but to quote unironically, Yates, the center cannot hold. Sure, they're in power now. Doesn't mean they're always going to be. You're not going to have a ruling dynasty that lasts 3,000 years. I mean, we've, we've examined oh. plenty of imperial planets that don't make it that long. Okay, well, just so. even look at, okay, Earth history about right. the rise right. and fall of how many empires. I mean, just, you know, just reading the Old Testament of the Bible alone, you see right. the rise and fall of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. Like, I could keep on going all these other uh, races that don't even exist anymore. Could imagine if the Tudor line was still like over the whole planet right the Tudor right. line is what right. we for the whole planet right mm, right or if you go back to like Seti and the other um pharaohs like if those lines still were a governing presence all over right. the planet or like any of the Chi look at any of the Chinese dynasties so just <laughs> anyways so moving along um, or how... even the uh, Tom Brady dynasty. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Peyton. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we're from Colorado and Texas, and the Patriots can get bent. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Except that I am. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so, how? speaking of Tom, unlikable people like Tom Brady, how do Fabius and Hexacuries and yes, Hexacuries is the Tom Brady in this situation. <laughs> compare and contrast to one another. Did you like him as a foil? They don't compare. I mean, they don't contrast one another. I was going to say, they're like Sorry. the same. They're the same guy. And I am... <laughs> okay, this is... <laughs> I probably should stop it here. Because that's a really bad image of Jen. But I just don't want to do this hardcore editing. <laughs> And she'll disappear here in a minute and come back. Oh, she's going to kill me for leaving that up. Oh, my God. I just don't want to edit that much. But, yes, they are 100% the same person. Just one is a Drukhari and one is uh, Fabius Bill. I don't even know what he, I don't know what he is anymore. Like, is he a Other cousin? I mean, he's kind of, a, I guess he's cousin. in the Sardis. Sure. If he's even that anymore, he's worked on himself so much. But 
Right. Regardless. They they were the same They're person. the same. They were the Patty Duke of villain and hero. And and they were just as not aware. <laughs> Arrogant and yeah, just both wanting godhood and oddly enough. Here's the one thing I will say. At least Fabius is smart enough to not trust the Harlequins, which I can't even discuss the Harlequins. I don't I just, even, okay. I don't, I, can't. Even, I don't even know what they were doing here. Oh my God. But the fact that Hexacures not only trusted the Harlequins, he, he thought he could one up them, which I'm like, good luck. And again, bored Eldar. I can't. I can't with the Harlequins. Like, I, I have so many comments that are just, like, wanting to come out. So. But just the fact... It, the one thing I didn't like was how the Harlequins kept referring to his real identity. I didn't care. It didn't end up it, being plot relevant. It didn't mean anything to me. No, it didn't. I mean... This is not like them saying what the Emperor's real name is. You know, because that would actually mean something. That's not Neoth, but who, what his real name is? Oh my God, they know who you were before you were a homunculus. Who cares? Was, is that his name, his first name was the same. They just revealed his last name. Right. Like if all of a sudden, in always this podcast, we call you Carrie, and then all of a sudden I was like, that's true. Carrie Honey. Dun, oh. dun, dun. Right? Like, oh, that was, that was a reveal. <laughs> not I guess now maybe maybe I don't know enough about Jakari society maybe that's like a thing that like he was like Madonna or Cher nobody <laughs> knows their last name anymore it's been lost to time I'm kidding I know both of them right oh my god obviously we need to wind up the podcast if it's now like crashing this many times but no, I mean, so her her point being is like, you know, talking about, you know, like if Marilyn Monroe only went by Marilyn and then someone was just like, Norma Jean. <gasps> How dare you use that name? Um, I did actually like the Hexacuries, like it irritated him at first, but then he was kind of like, which as soon as he was like, meh, I was like, meh. I, mean, I don't understand what the big deal was. Was he on the run? You're a Drukhari. You are a homunculus Drukhari. You are on the run. Yeah, well, and the fact that, by the way, can we just discuss that? Like, oh, God damn it. This just, this continues the comparison between him and Fabulous Bill, because I was going to say, you were around before the fall of the Eldar Empire, before Drukhari were even a thing. And you're like, some Walmart brand homunculus working in the lower Kamora. Like, you're not even that impressive. Like, you vampired wrong, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Maybe he became a Drukhari much later. It could be, I guess. But then it dawned on me that, oh, yeah, I guess because Fabulous Bill was around since, like, the beginning. And he's just like a... Yeah. Anyways, I guess the comparison still holds there, but I, part of me was like, damn, dude. Well, but the fall of the Eldar Empire was before the Great Crusade. Whoa, so much. It's, so it starts the long night. Okay, that's right? what I thought. That's what I thought. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's like forever ago. So to be fair, he had like 20,000 additional years to get his shit together, and he never did. I guess what I'm saying is 
Maybe he should have had higher goals, buddy. Maybe mentioning his last name brings back the fast the past when he was a good little Eldar. Are you a wants, good Eldar or a bad Eldar? He just wants to like forget that he was ever, you know, I guess a light Eldar and now he's Oh, she said my last name. No, it just brings me back memories. Well then change your first name. Sarah's like like instead of Hexacuries, like go by Hex or Hexus. Bring some Fern Gully into your life. I actually kept up pronouncing his name as Hexacurs, even though I knew it wasn't correct. That's just how I liked saying it. Hexacurs isn't bad. I like that no. too. That works. Although that sounds like you're literally hexing Conrad Kurs. <laughs> I curse you! Oh, wait, you're already cursed. Anyways, so... Well, I mean, they have about... Hex rifles, so it makes sense he'd be Hexacurs. That's he true. I mean, he could have been Hexacurs first, and then when he became Drukari, he's like, no! I am Hexacurys! <laughs> Gotta sound <laughs> badass. Right. I think the thing that bothered me the most was that, so this is, this book was very much thematically very similar to Lucas the Trickster because you had Lucas and then you had Lord uh, Sliskus, mm -hmm. who was kind of like his dark mirror image, right? And we talked about that in the podcast, how he's basically the same guy, but definitely the evil version of him and that Lucas is the good trickster. This guy is the dick trickster. These guys were the same person. At least I would argue that at least Lucas understood his place in the world. And he was fully aware of what he was doing and what he was supposed to do. Whereas Sliskus was like, I'm just bored. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is that Lucas, Lucas was like the good version right. of that. Whereas no, these guys was... were exactly the same. You have like two, yeah. like, vile. You have, you know, bad Astartes, bad Eldar, who both like to take people apart for fuzzies much so let's move on to someone who was a little bit more compelling <laughs> because a, I, found, I thought we already talked about them I'm out of people Fulgrim oh okay how did you feel about Fulgrim's characterization and his version of eternity it's so Fulgrim I mean I thought it was so funny at the very beginning when Narva Quinn's like, you know, master, like, you know, father, I'm here to bring you back. He's like, I gave you a great victory. What are you bitching about? Go away. Which is totally Fulgrim. And then he realizes like, well, it was a good victory. But at the same time, it wasn't even a brother I really had any interest in killing. <laughs> he just happened to be there. Right. I mean, I had no feelings towards Robbie Bobby, but he came after me first, so. Yeah, so I sassed him up and down, but... Right. It wasn't personal. It was no, just business. It's just the one who came after him. Right. In the same way if, like, Dorn or uh, Vulcan or anybody came after him. Right. Really but, didn't matter. No. Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me was when they're go. So, two things. One, when Fulgrim was like... Or when uh, Fabius was like, oh, I know he's sleeping, and Narvo Quinn was like... Is that what they say? That was interesting to me. The idea that he's just living off in this paradise world. Like, and actually living. But the other thing was, the thing that made me deeply sad, and I don't even like Fulgrim, but this made me deeply sad, was when they see the mountains of bodies. Billions. That when uh, Fabius Bill is like, there's three planets worth of bodies here. And Narva Quinn says, oh yeah, he's just replaying the same battles over and over sometimes he lets them win but 
generally it's just the same battle over and over. And I was like, dude, he reminded me of Uncle Rico. That he has just, like, peaked in high school. And we're just going to keep reliving that. And he could throw this war over that goddamn mountain. Well, you know, it's like, I know it's something I told you, uh, I think it was before, uh, last night before we were recording the Afrael Stern unboxing, which everybody should go watch if you didn't see it yet. But, you know, something about the whole thing with Fulgrim, with him reliving Chemos, was that, think about it, that's the first and really only war he won for himself. Single-handedly. And not because Daddy told him to. Right. It wasn't about him proving himself to his brothers, like the Primark novel was. He was proving himself to... uh, wolf guy Lehman Russ he was just he he, all he saw was that his family was dying and everybody he knew was dying and fuck these people I'm taking over and I'm saving everybody and honestly if the emperor had never found him I think Fulgrim would have been super happy on that planet having everybody love him because then he would love them in return and be very benevolent and kind right and he's most likely very ecstatic when daddy showed up because he's like, oh my God, I really am part of a greater purpose. But then what does he get? He gets this legion that's falling apart. He has this one apothecary who says he can fix them and all he's doing is taking people apart for fun. He's constantly belittled by everybody because he doesn't have much of a legion. Uh, so, so he's always constantly feeling like, I don't have my place. I don't have my special place like I did in Chemos. You're not dissuading from me from my Uncle Rico peaked in high school. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. But I think that's part of, you know, like I said, as we've established many times before, I have this thing towards tragic characters. And I think that Fulgrim is totally a very tragic, very tragic character. You know what? I never agreed with you until I read this book. And then I was like, oh, shit. That's, like, horribly tragic. That is so dark. And then, for the first time in my life, I felt sorry for Fulgrim. And I felt the tragedy. And then I actually even said to my husband as I was reading it, as I was like, ugh, now I kind of get why Carrie feels bad for him. Because <laughs> well, that just made me so sad. I mean, just don't talk... Just on top of all that, and then what happens? He goes to he happens to go to a slanesh filled planet and find it and he finds a talking sword. I'm sorry. You're gonna get that kind of stuff in your brain. You're gonna end up taking the talking sword with you. It's just one of those ways of the souvenir. Demon, right, the, the little souvenir, the way that demons just kind of crawl in. And right. Bill can say all he wants that he was not affected when he set foot on that planet. And I will say bullshit. Oh, 100%. Because everybody was. I really think, I mean, you can make a very strong argument that he definitely is a Slanish worshiper because the Slanish worshipers believe in excess and pleasure. And he, it pleases him to genetically splice and tinker around. And if you tell me that he's not doing it to excess, Oh, God. Everything he does is to excess. Everything. So he very much, even though he's not the slavering, you know, cutting himself and snorting drugs. Well, not everybody can be Lucius. 
Right, exactly. Like, so even though he's not exhibiting the traditional side of Slanish, I mean, he definitely, like, buddy, this is all within the idiom. Oh, but it's not. He's totally above all of that. Yeah. Which, every time he Her says damn. that, I can just imagine, especially ever, when they really talk about what, when Quinn really breaks down how everybody serves the gods at all times. And I'm just imagining at that point, you know, with Bill, every time he's like, oh, I am better than all of this. I don't do that. I don't need the gods. The gods are just like, yes, that's right. Just keep on saying that. We just love it. Just keep on, keep on with that pride and excess and just well, keep, and keep honestly, it up. I think that denial and that pride probably makes Slanesh even happier. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I've just been saying. Like, yeah, that's they're feeding off and going, yes, keep saying it. It's just so Great lovely. Much. Is, and, which makes it really extra. But again... I think it goes back to Fulgrim's little quip that, oh, you just keep making new and exciting mistakes. Like, I think the other thing that kind of shocked me was that when Fabulous Bill is like, you know, oh my god, everything's terrible, all these bad things are happening, and Fab and Fulgrim's just like, whew, that sounds like a you problem. What I need right? is monsters. <laughs> of course, that whole thing, when he said what he needs, he's like, I need what you do best, making monsters, and Bill's like clutches his pearls. He's like, excuse you. I, I do not, not make, make monsters. monsters. Like, don't you? My husband you? and I both started laughing at that line when he was like, I don't make monsters. We both like, I had a pause because we were both laughing so hard. Like, oh, I mean, maybe while you're reading ancient Terran literature, why don't you go read a book called Frankenstein? We're going to talk a lot more about that in a minute. Um, so one of the things I really liked about this book, and it was one of the, I think this is probably where the book shone the most for me. Josh Reynolds really gave each of the consortium members a moment in the sun, right? Everybody got to have, here's what's going on with me. Here's what I'm doing it. So first off, I think my favorite was perhaps Arian, of course. With all of his botany and talk amongst yourselves, I'm verklempt. <laughs> well, I did find something funny, like when he's, you know, asking everybody, Fabius is asking how everybody's doing when he's really just like, yeah, 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 I really don't care. Let's, I need to send you, we need to talk about what we're doing. So he's talking to uh, Marag, who we learn is a fallen who has somehow fled Caliban, so that could have been, it must have been before the destruction, because there was no leaving it during. Right. Well, actually, I would say that he either left it before or during, and he was just like, no, I, out. I want I mean, nothing to do with this. What I mean by during is during the explosion, because if you were there in an explosion, you either died or you were sent 10,000 years into the future. Very specific. Right. So, Very specific. Um, but... When he was asking, you know, Marag's like, well, how is your study going in um, regrowing capillaries? It's like, oh, it's great, but I can't get them to stop. <laughs> like, like, apothecary problems. Awesome. Right, seriously. Were you surprised by those who survived? Like, when you look at the consortium, would you have pegged that the, all of the people who survived, that those were going to be the ones who were left standing? You've got Scalagram. Okay. I think we all knew that Korag was going to survive, 
there's a line in there where they talked about how like somebody liked Korag, but then again, everybody likes Korag. Yeah, that was a uh, Gorel. Because he he's just this like super congenial guy, and I loved. I did love in the beginning when the when Pazuz like comes charging towards the Gland Hounds, and they're all scrabbling to get away, and it's just like what, what, what? I just want pets. I just want love. Let me love you with my literal flesh-eating toxicity. Right. So I, I think we all knew Korag was going to live. Korag was going to live because he's hilarious and everybody likes him and he's just a cool dude. Um, But Skologram, that one surprised the hell out of me. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm expecting to see Skologram pop up in future ADB Black Legion books. Right. But that one, I mean, we already know that Abaddon does not like this guy. Um, no, he, and... didn't like, he doesn't like a bill much either but he was just like but you're gonna like a lot of people but you're gonna be giving me gene seed so right we can work something out now sorry i'm not gonna make it in time because that's just what we do (laughs) because we need this book to end you see okay right so yeah, yeah we're not gonna be there to help and possibly save everybody because we got other things to do. Well, that actually, to be fair, that's fully within Abaddon's character. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I saw Savona living. Savona and Belefis when they, well, they get left. off. They do, but they the just... fact that they make it out of the book. Like, I well, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I, oh, I see what you're and saying. And I think with her taking... <laughs> no, I was saying, I see what you're saying. Oh. Man, that was a really quick one. But I was seeing what you're saying about them. Uh, you're surprised that they lived. I mean, I kind of am, but not at the same time because she is a survivor. And I really wanted Belefist to live because I want, I would like, but we're not going to get it because JMR is not writing anymore. I would like to actually get a book of his gutter poetry. Oh my God. As soon as she was like, it's bucolic and obscene. And I was like, well, shit, I kind of want to read this now. Like, I was curious about what a Slanesh poet would write about. <laughs> well, and it definitely, it was definitely a nod to um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I was like, I totally, I totally want to read, like, I want to read a book of this. Um, 10 out of 10 book of the year. <laughs> or I feel like he could have a lot of fun with that. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I was glad they got away. I was glad they took Narvo Quinn with them. That actually kind of warmed the cockles of my heart. Oh, yeah. I really liked Quinn a lot. And I did, too. And it's not just because he had no problems telling Bill where to stuff it. Pretty much. He wasn't having any of his bullshit. Um, I brought well, you back to life. I didn't ask you to. <laughs> so great. Let's discuss Agori. Why? I thought we already did. I, her arc was so weird. Like, actually, you know what? Okay, let me back up a sec. The whole Melusine, Melusine, Melusine? I'm saying Melusine. Um, Melusine. The whole Melusine. Y'all, we need to pray for Jen's computer. Like, the machine spirits are not happy. Apparently, I need to send her some new oils that she can burn. Get some new incense. 
because I don't even know what she was trying to say right there, except for something about Melisine. Probably in her magical hooves and mane. Well, that was weird. She came back and then Probably. she disappeared. <laughs> when I do get rid of this computer, I might, like, months from now, I, I might go full office space on it. Which is sad, because I built it seven years ago, and that's pretty impressive. But on the other hand, I'm like, I now hate every part of it. Um, anyways. So... Could somebody please explain to me why those two merged and why it was important and I why? I have no idea. Let, you know what? Let her die. What was the point of that? I went back and reread that section, like, aloud, because I was like, I think I missed something. And my husband was like, yeah, I think I did, too. I think you skipped something. So I was like, okay, let's go back. No. No. So then let me... I mean, riddle me this, Batman. And this is going to be the meanest thing that I say because I was just so confused. What was the point of either of them? For them to just merge to basically be like a spirit guide to him in the future. I mean, so Melisine this whole time really felt like, you know, the Big Bang Theory's Indiana Jones theory. She didn't change anything. She was just there. And they, they say she's working against the Harlequins, but okay, I guess. I don't think so. I mean, because the Harlequin, I mean, all I saw her kind of doing was that she was just kind of like, almost like a cheerleader in the background. You know, they start getting down. It's like, oh, no, no, rah, rah, rah. Let's get back up and we're going to do these things. Everything's good. It just all makes sense. Don't worry. It's all going to make sense in the end. We just need to. And I. Okay, but you merging with Agori doesn't make sense. So. No, and I understand that her whole purpose was to make sure that he gets back to doing what he does best. And we're going to talk about a little bit more on that in a second here. But Making monsters. I, when she merged with Agori, why? And it just, it really upset me because I never really liked Agori as a character that much. I don't think you're supposed to. She was a Mary uh, Sue she kind of was and i think he kind of realized that and that's why she was a little exit the stage right but when she merged with the demon i was really disappointed because it was like i thought this was like i guess i thought you guys were going to be above this like you know demons you know their shtick this is not your first rodeo and she just merged and the fact that she doesn't even put up a fight she's just like seems legit let's go Especially when she kept saying, you know what we need to do. She's like, huh, yes. I'm like, no. So that brings us to our final point here, which was, what did you make of the ending? Oh, it was a very um, Harry Potter epilogue for me. It was just one of those that was just, uh, well, we got to wrap this up. Obviously, I'm not writing any more of these books. So let's just go on ahead and skip ahead to where we are in the present and have everybody wonder what Fabius is going to do to thwart Robbie Bobby in the future. For me, I have a theory. God, this is just getting comical now. That was perfect. I felt like Loki. Well, we're waiting. We're waiting. <laughs> um, my theory is thus. This, to me, felt the most palpable of the editing. Hell. 
because the last book where we really get to see and explore Fabius Bile, at least for me as a character, was Angel Exterminatus, and he is a fucking monster in that book. He is the evil scientist who's building the cacophony. He's experimenting because he can for funds. He is a monster. And we talked a lot about how these books, Josh Reynolds really tried to make him more of a Dr. Frankenstein where he has a heart. He's not evil. He has a purpose and he's just kind of misunderstood. He does bad things. I don't want to say that he wasn't making him a bad guy, but just because he was a bad guy didn't mean he was a bad guy. Like, wreck it, Ralph. Well, that's kind of how I felt through the whole book is that he was trying to make him somewhat sympathetic and he was very fatherly to his creations and he had this vision for the future and i felt like as though this was kind of games workshop being like no we need him to be the evil grotesque scientist we need to have the person that abaddon absolutely hates but needs we need to have a person who's building these monstrosities to have this big bad pretty much okay so i would argue with you about calling him dr frankenstein I would actually argue that the biggest monster in Dr. Frankenstein, in Frankenstein, was Dr. Frankenstein. No, for sure. But some of it was done out of, I'm, I'm more of thinking towards the latter half of the book. Where it's really, where he has like these reasons. Granted, they're not good reasons, right? But he does have kind of a plan and... He's not just evil for the sake of being evil. No, he's not evil, but at the same time, he's very—he's a very selfish character. He's not thinking oh. of anybody else besides himself at any point in time. Oh, that's why that's why I, well, I, I compared okay. him. So he's okay, not you evil. Are correct. He's not evil, but he is that same monster. Right. Creating monsters right. when he doesn't think he's creating monsters. Right. And which is exactly what Bill is doing the whole time, but... The justifications and the fact that he has this paternal love for his creations and just this, I guess, softer side to him. And he feels like an infinitely, this bill, and I said this in the first book, this bill is infinitely more reasonable than bill we had seen previously. Which I guess, you know, you do have some few thousand years. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, after he's watching, because it, it is Angel Exterminatus when Fulgrim ascends. Yes. Yes, okay. So maybe after witnessing that, watching the fall, and he even, he even has said like the last book that Abaddon tearing down Canticle City was like a devastating blow, but it really changed his focus and purpose. So I think that might have mm-hmm. affected more of it, because like in Black Legion, when Abaddon does confront him, Bill is still a monster. Oh, absolutely. But what I'm saying is that to me, Bill never felt like this that same Bill. He no, no, I, I, I totally, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. All that I just realized, but he, like... he ends in that place. I feel as though, like when they talk about how some of his atrocities make Abaddon blush, right? That to me feels like Canticle City Bill. That feels like Angel Exterminatus Bill. That's the Bill we know and love. Which is actually, you know, you know what, what I'm thinking has happened here is that I think Josh Reynolds, going out of limb, I think Josh Reynolds wanted Bill to be the reasonable guy that we had in the primogenitor. But because of what Games Workshop 
wanted out of him. That was why JMR had Fulgrim, him sacrifice himself to Fulgrim. So he's been cut by this demon knife, which is obviously going to change him. So in a way, he's been in a cocoon, sleeping. Let's let the demon metamorphosis begin. And now we can explain why he's gone back to being this monster. And I think to me, the reason that that was frustrating is that if he's going to start a monster, have a bunch of growth and a bunch of stuff happen, and then end a monster. Did he have growth? Did he? He's gone He's gone full circle at this point, which actually just on me would be this. I was about to say, like, the snake eating its own tail, which would actually probably, uh, that's an image I'd probably please Bill very much. Um, and Fulgrim. It kind of, I got to the end of the book and I read that epilogue and my first thought was, what's the point then? Like, I, I love the idea. I, I'm actually, I want to make it very clear that both the epilogue, I'm actually not opposed to that conceptually, that... As soon as they see the Primarius Marines, they're like, dude, help. Right, right. I mean, I totally saw that coming. Oh, yeah. And it seems well within his wheelhouse. right? The fact that he's like, I actually did like that that caused real Bill to wake up. Right. He's like, oh, yeah. I'll help. It was Mirror Bill that was saying, oh, so they have bigger machines, so we just got to make bigger machines to match like oh my god well actually i liked when he said when they were when a uh, scholagram is like well because of the primaris like our time is coming to an end and he's like yeah we were an upgrade to the thunder warriors right like which i liked how which, the mirror bills are basically okay, like so holy crap there's been a lot of thunder warrior references lately yes which is why i actually think they tasked chris rate with writing Constantin valdor because if you read that book, it there is a chapter in that book. It might actually be more spread out across more chapters than that, but it feels like it was one whole chapter where they go into painful detail why the Thunder Warriors were not scalable and were not going to make it out of their millennium. Why the, oh. the Deptus Astartes were such a improvement over interesting. them. Interesting. I mean, I have the book. I just it's read actually it. very interesting and you can read it really without understanding anything about the heresy because it takes place so far before the Great Crusade. Oh, oh okay. Well then, yeah. I'll, I'll, why I have it. I just, I assumed other things, but no. So, uh, so Thunder Warriors, like that was, I can't remember if Thunder Warriors were mentioned in um, Lords of Silence or if it was of, um, of <sighs> Courage and Iron. Honor and iron. Iron and honor. Oh, God. One of them. And basically, anytime the Primaris show up, some Because I think it was. It must, have, it must have been uh, the Ian St. Martin book because it had the Iron Warriors in it because he sees one of the Primaris and he's just like, <laughs> Thunder Warriors. And they're like, because he, he looks at the Primaris and laughs and looks back at the regular Marine behind him. It's like, <laughs> Thunder Warriors. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you wouldn't remember them. It's like, man, dude, you're dying and you're being a snark. You're being very snarky. But that's why the as, Iron Warriors can be cool. As the Iron Warriors do. Well, right. and, you know, actually, to that and point. it was mentioned and we just read a short story that we're going to do a whole other uh, Patreon podcast about. But they mentioned the Thunder Warriors, not by name, but it's pretty much. Eh, I just eh, about to say. Eh. When um, it's the death of Uriel Ventress and there's a scene in which Lyrchus is talking to him and that scene when he's like, you left us. 
I was like, oh man, when they think, all crumble to dust. But I think like, it was Pisanius who said, we're not, it's like something about like, you know, we can't follow you just the same way as the soldiers of the storm couldn't follow. I was like, oh, okay. I see what's going on here. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the story because the book literally just came out today and Carrie and I both literally went and bought, got the book and read the short story because we had the book in our position. And by God, we were reading a story called the death of Uriel Ventress. And it was the last story in the book, but fuck, we're not reading this in order. <laughs> no, no, we don't have to. Um, anyways, yes, that's our shameless plug for Patreon. We'll definitely be doing a review about that story. But yeah, the Thunder Warrior thing, it's, it's, they're so hot right now. Um, I like the. So she likes the idea of Bill. I'm going to predict what she's going to say. So she likes the idea of Bill coming in and wanting to be like, well, you know, we can still make. Primaris, and we we can do that too. I mean, you know, there was the Thunder Warriors, and then we came about. So surely we can, you know, make Primaris, and I think we all knew that that was going to happen, right? That there was going to be the Trader Marines with Primaris. Wow, this is actually taking a long time for her to re reboot. Ah, oh, see, and there she goes. All right, so she'll be so right. So I was back not here. Ready to read you. Huh? So you were like, I'm going to predict what she was going to say, and I was like, oh, okay, because I can. Is that right? Yes, but nothing was frozen on my screen. So, oh. like, your video was going and you were talking, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I guess I was belaboring my point. <laughs> Anyways, yes, that's 100% correct. I like the idea of Bill coming forward to craft some monstrous version of the Primaris, or let me rephrase that, some monstrous answer to the Primaris. Um, we know that they're running around on Imperial Nihilus, so they can surely get Gene Seed that fabulous Bill can work with. I mean, he's, they said he still had plenty of untainted gene seed. I'm sure he can do something with. And yeah, there's, I just, I don't, I see him see, very easily. Making this, this is where we're actually going to have call. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. Because again, with Josh not there anymore, I could see, because we've seen this with books in the past. Like, for example, James Swallow's uh, Blood Angels Omnibus, Black Library, just being like, eh, no. So they're gone. So we're going to take this in a completely new direction. But if they do keep it, I could s totally see and I actually would like to see a Belisarius call, you know, versus Fabulous Bill round one fight. That could be wow. entertaining. Fight. Two characters I do not care for. Go at it. I don't know, but, you know, I have to say overall, because the first and second book were such pleasant surprises to me, this was not a very satisfying end, and I was not, I was, no. I was pretty disappointed in it, and had he not hit me squarely in the fields with Arian, yeah. I, know, kind I, of I just, it kind of reminded me of them, just not realizing, uh, the third book of The Hunger Games, that wasn't a satisfying ending either. It felt very much, actually, into that point, similarly to Hunger Games. This felt, parts of it felt very forced. Parts of it felt like somebody was off screen going, wrap it up. And I felt, I guess I feel really, I, I stand by my initial statement that whether or not you believe internet rumors, that this book went through editing hell, it would explain a lot. 
It well, really would. And if it did, I because I mean, this was nearly a 400 page book. I don't want to see what the original manuscript looked like. War and Peace. I don't think I could read that much, Bill. Bill and Peace. Actually, you know what? I have to say, I'm so glad that our next book is a frail stern, and then our next book is Indomitus, because I think I'm done with chaos for a little bit, which coming from me, that's saying something. I think you're more done with the Emperor's Children. Oh, I'm totally done with the Emperor's like, Children. I could read a book about the Alpha Legion, like, right now, or even, like, the Iron Warriors. I'm done with Bill. Done. I don't know. Like, okay, obviously, if one of the series that we really like, like if the Alpha Legion, if uh, Shrouded Knight suddenly had a sequel come out, Lords of Silence had a sequel come out, yeah, I'll read those. But it would take that kind of a book. Like, it would have to be something where I am already emotionally invested in okay. chaos. The Sorry. next Black Legion book to come out. Right. Um. Just, just if like another. You know, I need some good in my life. I think I would need a break from Black Legion just because of. You know, Abaddon being this, I know he was barely in this book, but he was a big presence, I feel like, in this book, even though he was only in it for Pitch a little shadow. bit. Yeah. But I'd I, agree with that. Yeah, so I don't know if I can do Black Legion right now, but I don't even I know just, if I can read I the next Horse Heresy book. Life. I just don't think I can read the next Horse Heresy book right now, even though I still haven't read my, my HH book of the month. I just don't, I don't know, like, I just need to take a break from some of this yeah i'm i'm excited to read i just want to get some goodness in my life so i'm really excited about that i'm excited to read about a saint i'm excited to read indomitus um i uh yeah i i'm glad we're taking a chaos break we just it's not them it's me we need some space no i just want to see other factions it's bill it's totally bill okay you know what if i was breaking up with bill it is not me it is him Oh, yeah. um, this is not a case of me just wanting to see other factions. I don't want... I'm. Yeah, it'd I'm, be nice actually to read a book that doesn't make my youngest child scream in terror. Because all of these books have really upset him. The covers. The covers. Yeah. They're, they're pretty grody. Well, I mean, Bill's just, what? you know... For a child of Fulgrim, he ain't so pretty. Our next book. It's very pretty. Ooh, very pretty. So we will be reading, and I apologize in advance, um, this book I thought, so we're going to be doing both the comic book that's contained within and the book. But the comic is going to be up for pre-order, I think, sometime in the next couple of weeks because Amazon had it listed as being like soon. A Frelster in the book itself is not going to be out for a while, so this might be one of those ones where you have to come back and join us if you didn't happen to nab one of the collector's editions. But definitely tune in to hear our thoughts. Maybe we'll break the podcast into the comic. And then make a clear bridge over into the book. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how the conversation takes us. Right. But do you want to take us out, Carrie? Oh, yes. Let's do that again before your computer crashes again. So, <laughs> again, play, pray for Jen's computer, guys. So, you've listened to the Warhammer 40K Book Club episode regarding Fabulous Bill Manflayer by Josh Reynolds. Be sure to join us for our next book, Ephriel Stern, The Heretic Saint by David Annandale. Our first David Annandale book for the club. So excited. How is that possible? Because he hasn't written anything new. Well, he's written a lot of Warhammer fantasy stuff. Which, which nobody cares about that. And a really great horror novel. Except for Ross. Which we reviewed on the site. That is true. Okay, that is true. But I say this is like our first book club. It Annandale is. Annandale book. All right. 
But regardless of that, we are still an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget that we have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. Good night, everybody. Oh, see, you did. Put your back. It's funny. Say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. The Warhammer 40k book club was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve. Unique New York. Unique New York. Okay. He thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees the ghost. Okay, that's a new one. It's from it. The book. I think I've blocked a lot of that book out of my memory. It's a really good thing to your enunciation. See, so. Ross, Ross used to always start every podcast with going, Unique New York. New, unique New York. Unique New York. Oh, that is a oh, that is a hard one. Because mm-hmm. like when you were saying it, I was like, that's not so bad. But unique New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we are recording, so.